0: Welcome back, everybody. I am John Stamp, and this is That's Criminal. Uh, Tiger was hanging out with me. He got bored before we even started and bailed because the sun's still out. So no, uh, no co-host tonight. Um, at least he's not snoring on the floor next to us. So that's something. Uh, before we get into it, I don't have a ton going on. Again, like you guys heard last week, I'm editing, um, and you guys all know how I feel about the editing process. But I will, you know, I'm an, I'm an optimist. One positive thing that I have come up with is that um in the editing phase it's kind of where i do most of my research Uh, i don't have a whole lot of time locked out in my day to put words to paper so i need to make the most of it so i don't get bogged down Uh, i don't want to mess the flow up when i'm writing the first draft so i usually will put a note or a placeholder in for stuff i got to go back and get right so in the first 60 pages of what i'm tentatively calling overmatch it's growing on me um but as you guys know, I suck at blurbs and I suck at titles. So my internet history for overmatch in the first 60 pages includes searching Jakarta, Indonesia, the topography, uh, US National Command Authority, US National Strategic Priority, the NDAA, Chinese intelligence functions, the Minister of State, Ministry of State Security, Chinese firearms. And in that in that time, that's what my search history looks like, and it's only been A week or two, and the good part uh, so far, no knocks at the door from three-letter agencies. That's a plus. So either I we do have privacy in our persons, places, and effects, and nobody's scanning the internet looking for weird browser histories, or there's a writer's exception when Skynet or whatever algorithm they're using finds something fishy in said browser histories. Uh, and I know that this is a 100% a writer's brain tangent, but in exploring the idea of a writer's exception to Skynet, I have a picture and follow me. I've got this analyst sitting in a bunker someplace, getting an algorithm uh, notification based on my searches. He, This guy pulls it up, takes one look, and then waves it off. He looks at his boss. who's about to task a satellite, you know, to follow me and come get me. And he says, no, 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 stand down, everybody. It's just John Stamp. He's fine. Uh, You should see the rest of the crazy shit that he's looked into in the past. At least this time, it's not, you know, him looking up how to summon a demon or anything like that, like last time. By the way, did you guys read Shattered Circle? That was dark, but a whole lot of fun. Blood Blood Red Ivory was pretty awesome, too. Hopefully, he gets off his ass and publishes whatever it is he's related to this time. Because I'm getting bored down here sitting in this bunker. And I, yep, I do know how ridiculous that sounds. But... It's fun to put those wild brainwaves down on paper because when you go back and actually read them, it serves as a really good barometer to see where you land um, on the scale between creative and seek help. So I use that. I use that to try and keep myself in balance. So all of that to say, Ty Benhoff two, titled Overmatch with an asterisk, coming relatively soon, and um, feel safe in your uh, in your uh, browsing of the internet because. Um, Nobody's come to find me yet, and I've looked up some crazy stuff researching this book. So that is pretty much all I got, and I know that that was a route, but uh, here we are. Tonight, I'm chatting with Eric Bishop, author of The Body Man. The Body Man, uh, really, uh, the thriller, explores a a kind of a unique role for the Secret Service and protecting the president while protecting the president and the president's office. Um... Kicks off with a a kidnapping and does not let up until the end and does not what what I saw coming either. So I'm really looking forward to digging into it. Uh, Mr. Bishop grew up in Connecticut. And like many of us who grew up in the north, uh, he relocated, meaning fled to the south after college. Uh, After becoming restless, he moved to the Rockies, the Pacific Northwest, uh, subsequent places before finally heading back east to raise a family. After many years in corporate America, he turned his passion for the written word and dreams of crafting a novel into reality. His debut novel, Body Man came out in november twenty one He now lives in the foothills of South Carolina. We can find him exploring the great outdoors while dreaming up the next great novel and there's stuff to live up to after Body man dude. so welcome.
1: thank you very much for having me john and um uh, regarding your introduction before I came on um if they're looking at our search history closely, we're all going to end up in some hole somewhere because they're going to get us
0: <laughs> going to end up rendered, going to end up rendered at some point. Um, yeah. That, that's uh that just occurred to me. And as I'm, as I'm reading, I'm like, you don't have to share as much, but I'm like, Hey, it entertained me while I was writing it. So I'm like, I'll just go with it.
1: <laughs> I, I, I think that was very clever. And I, I think all of us that write in that genre, uh, a wide genre of thrillers and suspense and all that, um, yeah i I, i'm sure our google searches have to make someone laugh somewhere (laughs) at (laughs) at least i hope they do um my second my first book uh that i wrote uh that never got published whatever was a drone story actually so that obviously took lots of research and of course i made a lot of stuff up too and then the second one was actually regarding a a nuclear weapon that was uh uh absconded during the cold war um and it gets found after 9-11 and all kinds of stuff and then i was wanting to figure out, okay, what, you know, what does an EMP do? You know, how does that work? And so, I mean, I've spent countless hours researching all that stuff. And there was a lot of times, and I'd save a lot of my, in my browser history, I'd do a favorite. Oh, favorite. That's a great article.
0: A favorite. Yeah, that's great. Great.
1: And I'm, and I always thought of like, if there's someone in a room that's looking through browser history and my name pops, they got to be like, this guy's either a, re- a writer. Or he's a psychopath that's looking to take down our country, which is could be a combination of both. But um, yeah, I, I hope they were entertained by it at least. So I learned Beautiful. a few things.
0: Yeah, only only in fiction am I looking to destroy society. And then I try to fix it at the end, right? <laughs> so there's only what? one part of my book trying to destroy society. The rest of us are all trying to
1: help yeah i think the rest of us try to i don't know you you turn on the news now i'm pretty sure there's some people trying to destroy society and it's not yeah. the fiction writers i think we're the good guys <laughs> yeah yeah
0: it's well it's funny it's like uh it's like musk uh what he tweet like uh, a couple months ago it's like he was giggling like it turns out the conspiracy theorists were right <laughs> you know it's, yeah. It's like, yeah but it uh and the same vein though it kind of hurts uh it kind of hurts our uh, our vibe a little bit because we're like we come up with all these crazy plot ideas and like that could never happen and then it's like oh that, look at that headline it's like man nailed it yeah
1: <laughs> I think COVID at least for me did that once when, when we were living through COVID I, you know I was writing pretty heavily at the time and I realized um, or the beginning of it I was then I took kind of a year off almost of not doing much but um, or nothing that I was wanting to publish um, I can't make stuff up anymore you, you just can't you know it's crazy uh, things pre-covid that we would have put on paper if we pitched that to an agent or to a, a big five publisher they would have been like yeah no that's not that's no, not realistic not and then during covid you're like Okay. Anything's realistic at this point. <laughs> they can, they can tell us to stay in our. I, I was in um North. Uh, I lived in South Carolina. I had an office in North Carolina, but I was up in Hendersonville area of North Carolina, uh, outside of Asheville um, during the announcement that there was a lockdown starting of uh stay at home order. That's what it was called. And I didn't have my kids that weekend that it, that it came out. And I ended up basically loading my car up with guns Supplies, a few things. And I drove up to Franklin where I had a friend. He invited me up for the weekend and we just sat on his porch and were just like, like, is this the end? Is this, is, <laughs> is, it, is it about to collapse? It was so surreal. And I'm like, if I get pulled over on the way there, boy, I'm nowhere near my house. I have multiple weapons, you know, un- unloaded in my trunk and ammo's in a separate place. I'm, I'm abiding by the rules. But if a cop says, let me look at your car, I got probable cause. I'm like,
0: uh-oh <laughs> do you
1: i'm a good guy do Trust me. Yeah, yeah do you really yeah exactly
0: <laughs> do you today yeah yeah it's uh yeah I and i um you know and i think it's a, i think it's a writer thing but anytime in the past anybody's like thrown out a conspiracy theory i'm like hey i'll t- i'll take this ride for a little bit why don't we explore this this is fun to talk about and yeah. then um but now it's like it, i'm to the point where i think it was i was probably listening to rogan or something and he's laying out how all these Agencies have conspired to, you know, work out work against social media and all this stuff. And I'm like, and I'm sitting here in my head, I'm like, you know, this sounds substantiated, but I'm so tired of this stuff. I don't yeah. want to believe this one. Like, I want to let this one pass because I'm
1: tired. Like, right, exactly. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I, I think it has. I think, I think it's well, and, and and these, and I've talked about this in other interviews. These have fundamentally altered society, and I don't think for a positive. Uh, There's positive aspects for sure. But I think that the, the access to information is an incredible thing and it's going to lead to good things. Question is, is will it lead to worse things than the positives that come out of technology? Because there's so much that comes out of that that's just causes lots of problems. I mean, you know, we can have this interview here and we can say something, make something up that sounds very realistic, but is an absolute lie. And that can catch fire, and people around the world can say, "Well, you know, John and Eric were talking about this blank, blank conspiracy going on," and you know, it can alter the way some people are thinking. And it's just the power of technology now. Can you know? Where years ago, I I, I hear that a lot. You know, I, we had talked before we came on that uh, you know I, my son um, is sixteen, and he constantly reminds me he wish he grew up like me in the eighties. Um, life <laughs> it was, a great thing. yeah, it, it truly was simpler. You know, I. I went out during the day, and I've told my kids the story. And you know, I'm an old man now, telling stories. But on Saturday mornings, I watched wrestling. I got in my bike, and I rode to the corner dime store, nickel store, where you could buy candy still for a nickel. I am that old, and we were on the go. And you come home at dinner time, and never thought anything about that. Um, bad things happened to people at that time, but you didn't. You weren't obsessed over it. The parents weren't obsessed over it. Now, myself included, parents don't want your kids to leave the yard without having a phone on them or someone standing on the porch watching them. And it's like, man, I, I, I miss that innocence that's gone now, I think in many ways in society. So.
0: Yeah. And, and an independence is gone like that, uh, that, you know, it was the same thing. I grew up where, where I would play. And this is from like eight years old on, I was surrounded on a peninsula by Erie canal with a lock within like 300 yards and everything that comes with that, and we'd end up like jumping into the outflow and get pushed down the river, and it's just like the the things that people would not fathom. But uh, yeah, was just like, hey, look how much that water's rushing, and boom, there we go, shooting down the river. It's like, right? That's that's how we get ID discovery st- stories now, you know? Yeah. And all this, <laughs> exactly. by the way, all this exactly. time. Pretty much all of ID discovery and true crime is based on the era that me and you were running around probably like, <laughs> you know, you know, high five and a serial killer because we like the look of the shag in his van, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I, I like the brown van.
1: van. I couldn't figure out why it was all shade. You couldn't see in the windows. And, but he was giving out, you know, fireballs next to the front. And hey, I right. want a fireball. I don't have to pay two cents for it in the store. This yeah. is great.
0: Yes. Yeah. if I want to ride home. I was only a block away. I declined.
1: <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I'm here today. <laughs> At least now my kids will say, "Well, I need my steps. Sorry, I can't get in because my, my, I got to have my phone with me to get my steps in."
0: That's right. My VO2 is down. I have to. I have to get back into the zone.
1: <laughs> uh, laugh yeah, or cry. Uh, laugh or cry. Sometimes.
0: Yep. And uh, and my kids today, they they don't want to ride bikes. They just they're just cool, like hanging out. And like, man, yeah. I'd be exploring every aspect of where I live. But yeah, yeah, I think the eighties were. Uh, I, th- I thought they were a little odd when I was growing up, but now you look back and you're like, everything was funnier. The music was 100 times better. Yep. Um, Freedom was a thing. And it was but now it's like, oh, man, it's like there's, it's like a, all 80s comedies should be required reading in high school just to keep people from getting offended. Because you're, you're ultimately everybody's offended during 80s movies and that way everybody can laugh together. So it's yes, it would. I think it would give the right people in our society today strokes. So it probably helped
1: it it probably it probably would help i completely uh i i completely agree so <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah that's fun but
0: but you mentioned something a little earlier you um you wrote four not four novels without publishing them
1: uh three wrote, i have three uh, okay. the the body man was my fourth completed novel
0: yeah, yeah. that's a that's a high degree <clears throat> of patience is it uh was it a craft thing or you just wanted to make sure you got it right or
1: Um, I don't think I knew what I was doing with the first couple books. I I wrote really good stories. I had people that didn't know me that read them that were like, man, this can get published. And so I, I went down the rabbit hole of, uh, okay, how do I get published? And so, um, I actually started off, um, 2017, I wrote, I I finished the first book in 2014 and I think I started pitching it in 2016 I guess 17 is when I went to Thriller Fest and I pitched the second book because I was getting nowhere with the first book. Um, so I wrote a second book, um, pitched that, didn't get anywhere with that, wrote the third book, wasn't getting. I would get interest from agents, but they always seem to have a reason to. And I got a lot of full requests for the first two books. They always had a reason not to. So I, the, I, I wrote the book in 2014 because I had a passion to write a book. I knew nothing about the publishing industry. I knew nothing about how to publish a book or how to, que- I didn't know you had to query agents. I didn't know any of that. So I, I kind of learned all that in 2015. Um, and then I think 2016, I started get rejections from some agents that said, well, what's your social media presence? And I'm like, "Only idiots are on social media. What are you talking about? <laughs> Their they're privacy issues and all this other stuff. And they're like, And I think one of the agents had said, when you get 10,000 Twitter followers, and I forget what their other criteria was, then reach back out to us. So I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. I need to actually create social media accounts and start building it. So I then started that process, which um, I did what I had people in that that, at that uh, time when I started getting rejected, people said, why don't you self publish? And at that time, I looked at it as, no, I don't want to settle because anyone can self-publish. I want someone to want me. I want someone to want my book. So by the time I wrote The Body Man, I really started to look at those first three books as my apprenticeship because I so didn't know what I was doing. And I learned so much by the fourth book. Um that I just said, and I know a lot of authors that have made it um, successful authors that they're the, when they made it or got their foot in the door, at least was their fourth book. So they have three books, I've multiple th- big name authors I've heard say that, which I thought was ironic. And I thought, well, I'll be next then yeah, um, for, for my fourth <laughs> book got published. Yay. Um, I'd like to revisit the first three books and we can talk a little bit after what I'm doing next, because I'm actually yeah. revisiting those characters in my novella that's coming out this summer um as i work towards my um the, the follow-up to the body man will probably come out next year um but in the meantime i'm kind of spending some time revisiting with, spending time with old friends and kind of learning that world because i'm most like most officers, probably i write something and i put it away and i don't go back and read it like i've never read the body man it's been out what a year and a half i've never read it since and i probably never will i've Opened it for reference and I've used like the search function on my phone or on my uh, tablet because I'm like, what was that character's name as I was writing the, you know, as I was writing the second book, I was like, wait, how did I spell their name? I, I don't remember. I mean, I've written, you know, multiple. I started two other books besides the body, besides Breach of Trust, which was the, 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 fo- the follow up in the meantime and i'm like yeah i need this so i i pull up my copy my digital copy and i put in certain keyword that i know will get me to that part of the book and i'll read that paragraph or read that name and then that's it though i don't look at anything i don't i don't go back and read and go wow what a great story it's like you're i'm done i'm done i moved on the publisher did their thing with it they made some changes and it, it it's it, it's history
0: Yep, and uh, and it's funny. I've I've been at uh, conferences and talking to, to uh, people that will go back and re- and revise something they've already published, and I feel like like I feel like I'd be cheating if I did that. Like like each yeah. book is each book's an evolution. So once right. that thing gets published, unless there's a formatting error or something architectural, that post yep. has to stand because the next one. It better be an evolution, and the one after that it better be an evolution on that. So I kind of feel like I'd be cheating people from watching my growth as a writer uh, to do that. But to yeah. your point of going back, I've done a couple sequels, and uh, man, it's it. I don't know what it is. It's cringy. Like I, I go back, and if I if I I go back, just use Control F. I'm like Control F in a PDF. All right, that's that's that. So, but if you keep scanning, I'm like, oh, like it's it must be like hearing your own voice on the radio. It's just like, oh man, I just can't, you know. It's it's just it's
1: the worst. I did a podcast last month, and the person I was doing it with said, you know, you got a really good, because I've done a lot of podcasts. I used to co-host one years ago. You got a really good voice for this. You should do it. And um, I've heard that from multiple people, but I'm like, yeah, I don't. Like, listen to, like, people will say, hey, did you, we've, I film a podcast with someone, did you go watch it or whatever? Typically not. I don't want to hear myself. I don't want to see I, myself. It's like, I do it because that's part of the process. And I enjoy talking to people about my books and about what they do. But to actually, to have the vein, I think there was a... I think Johnny Depp, if I recall, I think it's Johnny Depp, like doesn't go back and watch any of his movies. Like at yeah. all, he won't watch I them.
0: I know I couldn't,
1: yeah. And okay. I can understand, versus then someone, I just saw an interview recently, um, Tom Cruise. That's what it was. It was Tom Cruise. And they asked him the same question. And I'm okay, I'm going to get a Johnny Depp response. No, it was the opposite. It was like, of course I watch my own movies. And I'm like, <laughs> I think I see that. I think I can understand this one. <laughs> I, I'll
0: tell you, you know what? As you said that, that I, all I could think of, was the last scene of Tropic Thunder. And I was like, that that just changes the whole magnitude of that scene. They, yes. When he's when he's dancing in Tropic Thunder, I'm like, I wonder how many times he's gone back to watch that and just laughed his ass off. I think like, Friday and Saturday go.
1: night Tom Cruise sits in a big comfortable chair in his bazillion dollar mansion and just watches copies of his movies and probably like I look good. I look yeah, really I'd, good. I'd get
0: into that. When are we when are we going to reboot <laughs> risky business?
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh it's Oh man, it's it's funny. You mentioned the uh, all the stuff that the you know agents are asking for the social media thing. I was the same boat. Like I uh, yeah. up up until I heard that from an industry person. The only reason I ever even had a Facebook account, and this is uh, for anybody listening, this is not the way to do it. But uh, back in like two thousand eight, working uh, a couple cases that were going on to like a Craigslist or something else. Mm-hmm there was no policy back then in most places on how to go about, you know, getting into the social media aspect and and getting into those things. So (laughs) I remember one day I had a case and I just, I had to get on, it was either Craigslist or one of those boards or something like that. That was where where it was all going. So I remember calling, I called my wife who was working. I was like, Hey, I'm going to be on the, on the uh, internet and whatever you see to like, don't freak out. So, so I create Don't a freak a, out. Yeah, so I create a Facebook <laughs> profile. I put the wrong um date of birth in there. Um, okay. I put the wrong date of birth in there. I put the wrong place of birth, the wrong address, everything wrong. Didn't even fill out a lot of stuff just mm-hmm. to you know get screenshots. If I'm if I have a, a legal right. right to be there, I'm not peeking in anybody's privacy. I'm just yep. boom, screenshot, Absolutely. screenshot, building the case. And um Two years later, like I, that case goes, you know, done deal. Two years later, I'm on a TDY on the other side of the planet and um, I'm Skyping with my wife. I get to Skype with her like once every couple of days. And mm-hmm. and, and uh, I'm like two months into this, this thing. And um, we're sitting there Skype one night and she's like, hey, um, I'm, you know, a lot of people are just, you know, they want to check in, see how you're doing. And they're like, what's uh, your Facebook profile screwing everybody up? They're like, it's, uh, yeah they're not sure if it's you or if it's your dad or somebody else yeah and i'm like and i'm like what she's like uh, i'm like yeah i don't understand what you mean she's like well i figured out which one is you and i fixed it i'm like what what do you mean you fixed Wait, my you Facebook what? <laughs> profile you know what it says log <laughs> off didn't log off left it right now you the didn't log off so, so
1: she's oh, like, no, I,
0: you know i put all your details in there you're all good and then uh, the guess what the first one was so that she changed
1: I would think your birth date would be the first thing she'd update. Married status. Oh, your status. It's oh, Mary's okay.
0: She's like, Don't worry, I fixed it. I fixed it all. You're good now. I'm like, thanks. Now I'm now I'm on Facebook and now I have to communicate with people.
1: It's now great. I have to now I actually have to see yeah. people's stupid posts about what they <laughs> ate and, and yeah. that they reconnected with an old college friend or high school. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was
0: it was all it was all perfect. I was a I was a shadow until she brought me. You were to
1: light. you were not there, you were off the grid. So that's right. Yeah, Facebook's Go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, I, I was I was just saying now I'm now I'm in there. I'm stuck. You now you're there. Out.
1: Yeah. yeah. Facebook Out of all of them, Facebook to me is the hardest one to use, um, maybe because it's one of the older ones and just the technologies, you know, changed and preferences have changed. But um, I post on Facebook. I do stuff and I, and I respond to Facebook. But it's the one I probably spend the absolute least amount of time. I'll go to it likely every day a lot of times i'll post something in instagram which pushes the facebook so i yeah. won't even need to go to facebook um but yeah i don't go i don't i don't go unless i have to for facebook typically so insta instagram instagram's cool it's probably the coolest one but it's the least interactive obviously yeah. and i don't have i don't know that it helps me sell any books um or, or, or many books um twitter's probably where i've spent most of the time but twitter's changed Just and I like actually I'm not an anti Musk person. Um, I don't say I won't say I like him, but I don't. I'm not like vitriolic against him. I think he's a very fascinating person. Got some issues, but got some positives. Um, But since he bought Twitter, I have noticed a pretty um, distinct difference. It's it's a lot harder to find people most of the names that show up in my like trending now little thing, I don't know who any of these people are. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's definitely harder to navigate Twitter. And I, I, I'm trying to spend less time on all of them. I try to go in one time of the day, kind of post some stuff, maybe go back later, see if I have anything cupped up or look at people's stuff and, you know, and help s- support other authors, but try to spend as minimal time on any of them as possible most of the time.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty much where I'm at at this point is uh, Facebook gets what I push to it from Instagram and yeah. I go on Instagram once, twice a day to like the people who I support. I'll go retweet a couple people I support. And the first tweet that I see that pisses me off, I'm like out. I'll just I, done, can't, yeah. I can't I can't handle it. Like it's either the um, the just worthless question of you know what what do you prefer salt or pepper on your eggs and i'm just like there's no t- i have who has time to ask that and give a shit what people say and i'm like no nah, done you just ruined it for me
1: you Just ruined it for me
0: karen twitter karen. <clears> thanks karen
1: i know this morning i logged in and all i saw was posts a lot of posts about and not to, this isn't getting political on anyone that's listening it was about tucker carlson getting fired monday morning or whatever which i think i saw on Drudge report or CNN. One Drudge. of I have I like saw that Drudge. Yeah. six or seven different websites I look to for news, and they're all very like one's extremely conservative, one's extremely liberal. And I figure if I go through enough like that, somewhere the truth will be in there. They're all skewed either way. But I saw that you know Tucker and I don't. I couldn't tell you where Fox News is on. I don't even know if I have Direct TV or the other one. I have some satellite TV that I watch football and a few other things on and survivor with my kids that I DVR survivor. That's I it. Still love survivor. Couldn't tell- Oh, I love survivor. We watch it every, <laughs> I don't have them on Wednesdays. I have one on Wednesdays. So I have both of them every Thursday. So Thursdays after karate, we get home, make dinner or get Chick-fil-A. And we sit there and we watch the survivor from the night before. But mm-hmm. um, I couldn't tell you where even on the spectrum, the cable channels are. Cause I don't watch it. Any- Last time I probably watched one was, was uh the Queen's funeral, I think I might've put on for a few minutes, Cause I had just been to England or was going there or whatever, but yeah. So, but, but Twitter was, was just, it, both sides were fired up that Tucker Carlson got fired pro con, whatever. Yeah. And I just went, who He's, cares?
0: Yeah, who cares? They'll, they'll have another puppet. They'll have another puppet Monday. You'll have, it, you'll, you'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh,
0: it, um Yeah. The, uh, I found a website called all sides. That I'll go to. I'll start the day okay. with drudge just because I'm used to it. But uh, yeah. this place called All Sides will do. Uh, will rank the uh, spectrum of the of the articles and actually put them next to each other most of the time. So Interesting. You can see the skew in the headlines and then the straight shooters right down the middle. It's so much fun. I'm like, I'm like this is entertaining. I
1: love it. <laughs> one basically, the one on one side says, you know, drunk man crashes into crowd of people, and the next one says Land Rover. <laughs> crashes yeah. into it's like hmm i wonder what side that one's on so it's yeah. the land rovers that gas guzzling land rover is now killing people on its own so.
0: that's right yeah it's like uh the the what is it the um you know escape convict shoots four people or no it was the glock 19 shoots four people like
1: no i'm pretty way. sure it was the glock that did it <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're <laughs> autonomous now we, we've upgraded that's... them with uh, nanotechnology and and Whatever man. was in the vaccine. There I'm gonna find
0: that I'm gonna find that upgrade. There's nothing I want to do more than than have a nice conversation with my gun while I'm in the range.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you
0: shoot so good, man. Look at that. Look at that. No, no, It'll it's shoot you. Better. No, it's
1: you. It's, yeah. No, if you compliment that thing, it's 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 you know, it's good, it's like good dog, good dog. That dog's gonna yeah. love you more, you know.
0: That's I'm right. Like, I try to talk nice to him. When it's doing its job, <laughs> um, too funny. But yeah, it's um I'm, I'm, uh, it's usually operator error, so I don't blame the gun. um <laughs> <laughs> So um yeah, the um getting back to uh to your you know you taking that that time to to put on those three books and the evolution of them. I think when we talked last time, you know, to get into the body man, there was a, a couple of rollovers from your earlier books to the body man, correct? Well, did a character or two make a
1: no. So I went. So basically when I finished the third book, so the, the first book I wrote um, was called Vengeance. Uh, then I wrote a book called it, As I finished that book, I had a really great character that people really loved. And so I decided I decided to tell his backstory. Um, and it's a real weird name. But the second book, which really is the, it's like Star Wars, the first chronologically uh, was called the Zachariah option. So the Zachariah option was a nuclear story. Um, then it went, the third book went back to present time with this character and it was called the vigilante. So I was kind of in this world of these characters. And then when I wasn't getting it sold, um, and I came up with the concept for what the body man was, I just said, I'm just going to clean slate, start fresh. And, uh, and I'm grateful I did. I, I needed it. Um, but like I said, I kind of feel like those characters, I wrote three books about uh, a handful of better in all three that. Man, I've got unfinished business with those voices are still in my head sometimes saying, Hey, you created me and now you put me on your hard drive. You yeah, jerk. So, um, yeah, no, it was the body man, though, was complete, come up with, you know, brand new concept. And, and I've told the story, especially a couple of years back when I was doing media for it and stuff. It was interesting. I was at the time, I was married, which is different from now. I, I was doing a cleaning job. So, this is on what year fortunately I think I think once I once everything got done I think I erased a couple of years of my life so the details get fuzzy <laughs> but um but I remember this part really well I was doing a cleaning job on a Friday night I was I think shopping around the second or third book I wasn't getting anywhere and I was just frustrated and I said I need something new I need I need a new motivation because I only wrote at night when my wife at the time and my kids went to sleep so I wasn't writing during the days I wasn't taking family time up that was just my that was my time to get the demons out of my head to tell these stories. And, um, so I walk in this, um, it was a fire sprinkler company, which is in, um, the body, man, there's a fire sprinkler. It's not a fire sprinkler, but I use the name dibaco dibaco is the name of the fire sprinkler company I was working at on a Friday night, literally a college educated financial analyst whose low-income family cleaning an office building on a Friday night because, Right. Bills. There's bills hustle. in life, yeah. and yeah, no one's paying my bills. I don't have two incomes, so I gotta survive. So I walk in, I turn the turn the um, alarm off, and it wasn't like, and I've told this before. It wasn't a voice. It wasn't like some mysterious thing. I just had this thought pass through my head real quick, and it said, "There's always someone who knows where the bodies are buried." And I was kind of like, "What the heck is that?" And I'm like, I'm, "What is that? A mafia thing?" I'm not gonna write a mafia story. <laughs> And then I answered my own question. Well, who would know where the bodies are buried? And my brain said, well, the body man. And I'm like, okay, well, that's weird, too. And then I remembered, I had it was probably months before that, I had seen a news story about President Obama. This was before Trump got in office, or right around the time Trump was coming in, maybe. Uh, but I saw this news story, and it was about President Obama, and he had a guy that worked for him. Reggie Love, who's a real guy, secret. Uh, uh, I know Secret Service agents that know Reggie, um, but the media called him the Body Man, and basically he carried Obama's BlackBerry and probably his smokes and his credit card. And you know, Barry would say, "Hey, I want that." You know, get get me the you know the Marlboro Reds, and you know Reggie would go over there and buy the Marlboro Reds, and the President would be happy. No witnesses. So I thought about I thought about that story, but I thought about the term the Body Man, and I'm like. Well, that would be a really freaking boring story to just be kind of an admin for the president. I mean, maybe something interesting would happen. You know, if you're JFK's admin, you know, yeah. Ooh, one one of those days. Marilyn might be fun to talk to, but um, I have a feeling that wasn't going on in more recent administrations. Um, so uh, so I just I had like three hours of doing this mindless cleaning job, and I said, well, what would the body man do? And so I kind of then said. Well, what if instead of the body man being, and I thought secret service, because White House, the president, and I was just like, well, instead of him maybe being a secret service agent who's protecting the president, what if he was protecting the office? And what if he had to protect the office from the occupant at the time? Um, and the idea, just like the high level of what you read for the book came from that night. I made lots of changes over the years, but um, that's where it all flowed. And then I was like, fired up. And I just, I knew when I was coming up with the idea, man, if I can write what I'm envisioning, then this will get me my foot in the door.
0: Was that? It, uh, it did. It,
1: it took years, but it, it did. So,
0: Was that one of those moments where you're like, I really got to get this office clean, but I'm going to need 10. I got some stuff I got to scribble out. Like, did you just like sit down and be like, let's just fill out this notebook? No, right? I
1: didn't. So the way my <laughs> weird brain works is I'll come up with an idea and then I'll just stew on it. Like I started a novel last summer And I wrote about 20,000 words, so it's not like I just wrote 500 words. I wrote about 20,000 words, but um, I got to a spot in the story in my head that I hadn't got far enough, and I just put it aside, and I've not looked at it since August, September. I don't even know. Um, So I I can just let things – and so every now and then I'll have something pop in, and I keep – the good thing about the devil here, the technology, is um, everything's on the cloud. I have Microsoft – I have uh, notes, Apple Notes and so i just keep detailed notes and it's backed up and i even sometimes copy it email it to myself to my gmail account oh, yeah. so it's I like do too. multiple so in case the cloud gets fried with the emp that goes off you know hopefully i've printed off that, that email yeah. uh, if i haven't it's gone then but um, so i'll just like kind of make detailed notes and kind of like if something happens in a day i'll be like oh that would be good for this story i'm working on and yeah then i just and life gets busy, you know, as we talked about before, this isn't my, writing is not my full-time gig. Um, doesn't even really pay the bills. It's not, it's, it's a fun hobby. I hope it will pay the bills one day, but it's, um, it's something I'm passionate about, but it's not something I get to do eight hours or 10 hours a day. Yeah. I can't wait till that day comes. Yeah. Me too. Me too. And it's, uh, you know, some people get it off the bat first book, they can quit their day job. Um, from what I've read in the past, it typically takes authors between five and six books before that are successful authors, not just, you know, Joe Blow sent, selling 100 copies. These are people that are, you know, maybe not making the Times list, but not too far off from that. It'll take them five or six books before they can quit their day job because when someone finds that sixth book, they don't just go, oh, cool, John Stamp wrote a great book. They'll go right by your next, your first five as well. So at mm-hmm. that point, when you find new people, they're starting to buy five, four, you know, four, five, six books, and you're getting real residuals. Um, or you get a book that hits, that you get a big advance for, that sold well, and that that definitely happens. But if you think that's going to happen, and if you're getting ready to sell the sell the farm and have that be your ambition, you're probably going to jump in the canal and not come yeah. back up. Yeah, get so, some get I mean,
0: some concrete evidence first. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's uh, the way I look at it is it's, uh, you know, like anything, any career, it's a, it's a 10 year process to build. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're, you could be a rock, uh, you know, a rock star right out of the gate, but it's going to take 10 years before anybody, before you know what you're doing anyway, you know, enough to to really get it done. So that's how I've always liked it. As long as the stories keep coming, I keep writing and you know yeah. hopefully evolving like we talked about hopefully evolving with the work so right
1: exactly well but, and i think um, you appreciate it more i i think from things in life that i've earned and really had to put in the sweat in the the hard work you appreciate the results more and i'm not saying people that hit that first book and make the sellers list or, ma- or get a six i mean there's people just in the last couple of years that have gotten you know it's 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 out there so i'm not mm-hmm. you know telling stories but they've gotten seven figure deals movie deals oh yeah god bless god bless them i support them I don't care if, if someone gets that deal and the books, maybe not even my professional, my, my book that I would like to enjoy reading. I still support that because that gives me hope and other people hope that those things are out there. You just can't expect that thing to happen because it's such a, it's such a, a, a minuscule opportunity for people or a chance that it's going to happen. Yeah, So you, just, so you have uh, to put in the hard work. Like yeah, you, said. you just got
0: to grind like everything else. Yeah. And, um, and it's uh, one of the, the biggest things in this, this is, isn't a, Perfect matchup, but uh, have you ever? Did you ever read Dave Grohl's uh, Storyteller?
1: I've not. I've, I've Man, walked by it a, a, a book. so many times in the store, and I've not read it. So
0: no. I'm I'm a Foo Fighters like lunatic. So it's, okay, uh, I yeah, love yeah, so the Foo Fighters, so I need yeah. to read it. But um, but I mean, his thing, you know, from 16 on, he's just faking his way, faking his age to trying to get into like New mm-hmm. York punk bands, and maybe gets a couple tours, maybe right. gets to go national, and then falls into nirvana but he's paid his dues living on the road since he's like 16 years old
1: yeah, so that exactly. grind
0: continues and continues nirvana falls flat thanks kurt now i hope it's not too soon to say that um and then he just does it his own way and it's like look at him i mean it's, so it's like, been like a while grind. i think you
1: can say that <laughs> i think
0: so um but uh yeah just he, he just never gave up and just kept that grind going and, and yeah. uh, now he's an institution so it's like exactly and it's not it's an overnight success out. Nobody. Yeah, nobody is. Nobody. Nobody really
1: is. Every, no. No one really people, is. Even those
0: people, even those people who, like you said, came out of the gate, they've been writing for years, organizing, planning. Yes,
1: absolutely. You know. Well, and the other thing I was going to say too. Again, I, I would have been glad if the body man came out of the gate and was some massive thing. Trust me, I wouldn't be like, oh man, that's just. I wish I had to. <laughs> I like should have struggled
0: more. <laughs> yeah. I, I really
1: wish this sucked a lot more than it actually did. Really suck. To come out with my first book, um, but. One thing that I've realized in watching that success people have had is the, the, the scary part of that is man, if you come out of the gate and your book is a massive seller, that puts a lot of pressure on you to have that second book be a massive seller because the publishing industry has good pros and strong cons. And all they really care about at the end of the day is are you going to make them money? And so if you make them a lot of money in the first book and your second book makes them okay money, but not so great, and your third book, is making them less money they don't care that that first book sold well they will drop your ass in a heartbeat before you get to book four or after book four and then your career is almost over so you know you want like that bell curve you want that curve to start almost lower and build yourself up um for a career that's going to actually benefit you better in this industry and this industry is an interesting industry
0: yeah and there's and there's two uh there's two sides to it but i mean yeah you're only a you're only as good as you were yesterday and correct you know there is no tomorrow but at the you know like you've said you alluded to the authors when you get the authors together there is not a more supportive bunch of people i mean everybody i've never met an author that was like you know backstabby i've never met an author that was like oh that's you know, really glad that your life sucks. <laughs> you know, everybody's exactly. always cheering each other on. Everybody's really supportive of everyone, which is uh I think that catches people by surprise. Sometimes I think they kind of expect the artist side of things to be a little catty. And I, I've yeah. yet to experience a catty author. I'm sure they exist. I just haven't seen any yet.
1: They do. I know of a few. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not really had much ex- direct experience with them, but I know via stories or via a few things but I'd say 98% of the ones I've met or inter- or interacted with are absolutely just what you said. And I think there's a couple, I've been talked about that with other people. And I think there's a couple of factors to it. First of all, you don't, it does happen, but you rarely see an author that is very young. So for most authors, this isn't their first career. They started a different career. They might've been successful. They might've been a failure. So they kind of build some life experiences. And typically, if you go through life and you're not an asshole, <laughs> You're going to have a healthy respect for what it takes to be successful, and seeing other people struggling, you want to help them. And especially in the writing community, you're not—it's it, not you working at Bank of America that seeing some guy working at Target and you can do anything for them. That's a stretch. When you're a writer and you go to a conference, you meet someone, and they go, "Man, I've been working on this manuscript for two years, and I just—if I don't know if it's any good." You go, well, man. Let me take a look at it. There's, there's a part of you that goes, man. I was that guy a couple of years ago, and and in my case, I have multiple like New York Times bestsellers that gave me attention, gave me support, um, and were there from the early part of me starting to write. And I was a nobody. They didn't owe me five minutes of their time. They didn't owe me an email or a phone call, but they did that for me, and I respected that so much that I was. I immediately said. Man, I don't know if I'll ever make it in this business and whether I do or don't, I'm always going to remember that other people helped and I will make damn sure. I mean, the only books I've really read this year are from people that are not highly successful authors, just like myself, Um, because they've sent me books and said, hey, would you read this or give me a blurb or would you do that? I'll put down a New York Times bestseller to pick one up for someone that's not a bestseller because maybe I can help them. Maybe I can't. But I feel like, man. I want to help them in any way I can. So yeah, it's yeah. uh, I
0: mean that's where this whole podcast comes from. I flip through, me flipping through Amazon, like oh, that looks cool. That dude's got a cool story. Yeah. Let, I'm gonna let's put them on the list. Them on the list, and you yeah. know, I, it's I've had some bestsellers on here, but if, if if they if they seem interesting, if the story in the book seem interesting, I call. You know, otherwise it's yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know, I'm sure at some point that's it, them. You know, I might, may have to go a different route, but I i mean, it's, it's, we just talk shop. That's what I, that's what I do here. Yeah. We talk shop, you know, when I'm not talking to true crime people about cases, we're talking shop and talking about the process, but, but. um.
1: Well, I think authors also, they, they have that, that you've got that common interest. So you have something and it's a, it's something that very few people actually have in common. And it's not to say that there's not too many people that write, but if you look at the population as a whole, the average person is not going to complete a novel. They might start. Some people might start writing, but to actually put in the effort to complete a novel is very rare. Um, then it opens a whole another can of worms of can you get that novel published? Is it any good? Yeah. Is it only something your mom's going to say? I'm proud of you. Your mother better be proud of you. She birthed you. She should be proud yeah. of the sh- the crap you wrote. Um, it's a
0: years work and a hundred thousand words.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, so. so I think authors, you know, they have that healthy respect and they have that that camaraderie with someone that says, okay, this person put in the effort like I've put in and they, you know, they respect that. And yeah, with the exception of a couple buttholes out there, this is a great group of people. And you do that. If you go to conferences, just social media, you know, most big name, first time I got followed by a New York times bestseller, I was like, it was years ago. I was like, holy cow, they're following me. And so I messaged them. Thank you. They messaged me back. Oh, you're welcome. What's up with you? What are you working on? And I was shocked. I was shocked to have like an interaction because that's the positive art of the technology. I've talked, you know, it's crappy. There's a lot of downsides, but some of the positives are just that you can interact with people that 25, 30 years. When we were growing up in the 80s, I couldn't, you know, call Mel Gibson and say, hey, Mel, I really have an idea for a story, for a movie. Would you do that? you know, Mel wasn't answering me on his massive, you know, phone, that's, you know, (laughs) bigger than his head. So now, if, you know, someone is active on social media, there's a possibility you can catch their attention or get, you know, get one on one time with them, even if it's only a couple minutes. And sometimes, that's the cool thing about it is giving someone a few minutes of your time can change their life, it can give them confidence that they're going. And that's the one thing I've tried to do with what I've done with my writing is just encourage people. Um, not, I'm not the best writer out there. I'm not the best marketer or any of that stuff. But I tell you what, I do believe in people. And I believe that if you put your mind to something, you can accomplish it. And there's only one person that's going to prevent you from doing that. And that's yourself. You can stop yourself. You can prevent success. Um, to achieve success is another story. But if you want to prevent success, it's easy. Give up. Quit. You're guaranteed to fail.
0: Yeah. And I I think it's probably come up here before, but this is one of those, you know, rare instances where there is no team. There, you know, there's there is an I. There is absolutely no team when you first decide you're gonna write a book. There's no is that everybody else will be like, Oh, you're writing a book, that's great. And they'll never ask you to finish it. But they'll be like, Oh, he's you know, he's writing a book. It's like he's been doing that for a decade. Cut it out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, there's nobody watching, nobody in the mirror but but you. So Absolutely.
1: um, And you're accountable to yourself. And that's, um, that's a scary thing, but to me, that's a, that's a, that's a great thing. That's a powerful thing. And that's, and now after doing it, I've finished five, let's see, I finished five books, two novellas, got a couple other short stories that I've done. And then I've got probably just the last couple of years, I have three or four in some form of production. A lot of them are 20. I seem to get to 20 or 30,000 words. And then I just become an idiot and don't finish. Don't and I jump. Then I get passionate about the next idea and I'm like, "Oh, this is the <laughs> big one that's going to get me the G650." <laughs> that's yeah, right. right. <laughs> um, and so I put the other one aside. I go, "I'll keep thinking about that one," and I will, and I will finish all those books unless I mm-hmm. have a you know an early demise for some reason, which is probably going to be due to the phone uh, yeah, technology. The, the, man, the but worst. um, yeah. but yeah. So, but being in and, and, and that's the other thing I tell people is you get one done and hopefully at least for me and hopefully for others that instills the confidence in you of going okay I can actually do this and I think I think it really starts it's almost like pushing a ball you know uh, on a small incline but it's not moving yet you got to get some momentum going and once you can get that first story out I think finishing a second one because you got that confidence you then say okay I've done this before now you might have imposter syndrome kick in and say. Well, I did this before and it sucked or only my mom liked it. Yeah, you know, sure. But you should look at that and go and OK, I had a goal. I figured a way to accomplish that goal. So what's my next goal? I know I can do it because I did it before. Maybe my next goal is to get the second book or the or go back to the first one and get it published. But, you know, if the first one doesn't get published, OK, you you finished the first one. Great. I finished three of them. It took till my fourth one that I was like, "Okay, I can actually get this thing published." Um, yep, yeah,
0: we build on the next one, j- try just on trying to make the absolutely. next one a little bit better, honing the yes. craft a little bit. Absolutely. Um, which you know brings me back. So, looking at your spectrum from one to four, could you like for me um, as I'm you know uh, overmatch asterisk overmatch um, as uh, in in editing this book and even in writing the first draft, I kind of got to the point where i declared war on filler words like i'd, mm-hmm. I'd seen them in the past and i'd shipped them away as as i could but he, but this time i'm writing my first draft and i'm like there is no had unless you can justify your existence there is no that unless you can justify your existence there's no word with an ly on the end unless you have a really good reason for being here and mm-hmm. it was, I, so can have you seen that spectrum change between uh the first book and the body man just uh, the little things that, that you keep carving away at
1: Absolutely, and I still make a boatload of mistakes, but before I made a continent worth of mistakes, so i' I've, <laughs> I've shrinked it down now, where before it was you know it was the United States, now i'm just making I'm just messing up South Carolina now, so <laughs> there you go <laughs> um, yeah you 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 learn you you learn uh, hopefully you learn and and you just get like you said before, you get better at the craft. um yeah, there's things that I would have never and in the past, I would have just said whatever too, and said, ah, eh, I'll clean it up during editing now, no. Now I'm a lot more intentional, um, probably because I realize how much work it is to go back and edit before I let anyone else look at it. But I'm like, and, and some people, I, I know there's a million ways to earn a million, but there's so many ways to do it. And some people, um, I don't know if it was David morell someone I saw an interview or I interviewed a couple of years ago. They would write a chapter and then for the day that was their writing, they wrote one chapter and they'd start their next day by Editing the night, the day, the days before chapter before they they finished the second one, and so by the time they got to their final, I can't remember who it was now if it was Morel, but by the time they got done, that first draft was pretty clean. I've never gone to that extreme or anywhere near it, so I'm trying to be more intentional as I'm doing it because I don't like to go then look back because like we talked about before, my problem, and I think probably an a problem a lot of authors have, is if I don't have a set deadline for myself, even if a publisher hasn't given me one or whatever. If I don't have a set deadline, I could go back and fix that book until I die. That's right. Because it's never good enough. It's never. And that was a hard thing for me when I had to give over the final draft to the body man, uh, to the publisher. That was tough because I realized at that point I could no longer fix my stupidity. I could no longer come up with a wittier comment for one of my characters or describe something different. And that's partially probably why to this day I've not gone back really and reread it because I would be pissed off I'd be like why would I say why did I box myself into the corner of this character now has to have this kind of hair or this girlfriend that was named this I hate that name now why did I name her Karen what the hell was I I, thinking you know um I've Um, never sorry all the Karens out there please buy the body man and buy John's books too (laughs) that's right but um Yeah. yeah so it's that's why when it's done it's done okay move on you know uh talk you're a foo fighter fan on to the next one so that's, that's a lyric from foo fighters done done on to the next one it's like just bring it to the next one
0: yep yeah i just uh yeah i just can't like it's um it just it creeps me out and well i'll do it when i have to but just going back and, right. and retreading it I'm like now nah, that that work is done hanging on yeah. the wall let it you know let's uh let's see what people think of it um, absolutely but to uh, to get back to the body man, I, I do want to discuss, we've been discussing everything but, but <laughs> the,
1: the body uh, man the book. Um, I got to remember what the story is about, John. It's been a yeah. year and a half, and I <laughs> yeah, haven't right? read it, so I is might it... make some crap up here. Yeah, yes, John, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I was,
0: uh, it's, it's funny in another tangent, but I was gathering up some stuff um, for something to do with uh, blood red ivory uh, just yesterday. And uh, I I landed on uh, a piece that I wrote for it uh, for uh, for my publisher as a as a marketing piece and um and it's a thing where he's doing a, a crime scene like trying to pull a um pull a fragment out of a tree or something like that and he ends up having a standoff with a bull elephant while a um uh, anti poaching ranger uh, sneaks up behind uh, my supposed hero you know and i'm as i'm reading it, i'm like man like i don't remember like for a second there i was like i don't remember writing that like it did i was like well and it was only a year ago but it was like well, oh okay. okay i got it it came back to me eventually but i'm like man guy got caught with his pants down like come on man <laughs> i thought you were better than that um but with uh so yeah okay let's get back to the body man but uh the premise that the guy the guy who's who's um loyalty is to protecting the office rather than the president i think right. was it's it, on the surface it doesn't seem that big of a that big of a thing that's our job our, our oath is to the constitution it's not to that it's the whole reason it's codified in law is right. our oath is to the constitution of the united states not to an office not to a man and it was mm-hmm. done intentionally even back then when that law was written um right. and it, it also reminded me and my history could be way off but um, I went to work at the FBI under uh, Bob Mueller. Uh, before him was Louis Free and Louis Free and Clinton. Louis Free became the was appointed director of the FBI by Clinton, right. And story goes, and I, I I'm not telling history. I'm telling, you know, the way I've been told it.
1: but um yeah,
0: but it was you know, one of those things once the Lewinsky stuff, the Whitewater stuff, all this stuff starts coming up there and there that presidency, he's called in to chat with Clinton. And he famously, at least among the bureau says, you know, I, I respect you, Mr. President, but I, I, my oath is to the constitution, my oath is to the, to the laws of the United States. So, Mm -hmm. you know, careful what is said here, because I'm a law enforcement officer, which is, I mean, that's, that's what I thought as I'm a couple of really great scenes that I don't want to give away, but there were some words spoken during that book. And I'm like, nailed it. I'm like, that's exactly what a guy who gives his oath to the Constitution of the United States says to the person yeah. that he's got he's to take out.
1: So what I tried to do with that, and we've talked offline about this, because I, I still to this day, I'll have people say, well, you worked for the government before or you you do currently. <laughs> and they can. I'm glad for them to believe that. And yes, I really do. Yeah, but officially... Yeah. I know I'm a financial analyst with a title insurance company and I know nothing about how things really work, but no, I I tried to get in the head of a character of what I limited know about the FBI or the secret service and what I can research, but almost how would I want it to work? So how would I want, so if I had a character, um, a role in the secret, you know, that came from the secret service that works in the White House, that's with the president close to 24 hours a day in some proximity what would I want that person's responsibilities to be if their job wasn't to protect the president, if their job is to protect the office? Well, you know, and I thought back to Clinton. I thought back to other stories that are out there about Johnson. And um, I've just read a book about the Secret Service uh, for another book that's totally not Body Man, but is Secret Service related, that I'm about 25, 30,000 words into writing. (laughs) Um, And it was talking about, uh, it was written from the perspective of former agents um, it was a really good book and I'm totally drawing a blank now off the top of my head, what it was called. Um, but it was talking about what the agents thought about Carter and what they thought about Johnson and Nixon and all that. And it's like, you know, these guys have an absolute critical job. That's an absolute crappy job that you get to see these people on their best days and on their worst days. And you can't do anything about it. Well, what if there was a role there though, that they could step in? Like if, 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 you know, use Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. It's, it's re- I. I. I don't reference President Clinton in the book, but there might be a reference to an incident that occurred. Well, if you could actually stop the president from having a young lady come in the house, because you go, this could lead to problems. um, That can change history. It can change. Yeah. You know, no one before the 1990s on national media and everything was talking about oral sex, but they were after the president got busted. And now Thank it's you, now president. college, you know, <laughs> high school age kids, you know, of course with technology now, everything's everywhere, but it changed really almost the fabric of our society. Well, what if, what if one person could have prevented that? What, or, you know, what if the president does whatever, um, it, it opens this layer. And then the, the other layer to the onion of that is okay. And it really factors in the second book, breach of trust. What if you have someone with that power? They're not elected. You know, they're appointed. They're given this job of the body man. It is a massive amount of power because you can actually physically prevent the president from doing something or you can step in and 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 say the president does something horrific, kills someone. Your job is to technically to clean it up. Yeah. Really? Do we want someone with that much power that can whitewash a crime that um, is? never acceptable for someone in that you know institution to do um so in the second book i explore that a little bit more of what what does that lead to and what 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 happens to that position if other people find out about it and go we don't want someone unelected in that position um and i don't know how you would ever elect someone because how would you choose that you know i mean john stamp would probably be a great you know, body man, but besides I, you.
0: No, I don't do protection. <laughs> <laughs> but you, that, would only only do good, years. you would only do yeah. good.
1: You would only do good.
0: That's right. That's right. I can't be bought. I, I can't be you bought. cannot be bought. <laughs> I cannot be bought.
1: I have a Cayman account I was going to share with you after this interview, but <laughs> That's I won't great. so That's
0: well, well, what I was wondering, uh, one of the notes I made um, was, you know, going, knowing the atmosphere of Politics uh, to a certain degree, and the mm-hmm. government and how government works. What happens to uh, Jordan after? You know, the you know, there's always a new case. So there's always a new post. You know, he does what he does in the body man. Where where is his future there? You know, surrounded in DC by an absolute nest of vipers who are usually only out for number one. Um, What's his future look like? You know, it's
1: so I will say he's still in the second book. So he does have a future. (laughs) I I will admit he does have a future. I think, I believe I mentioned in the book. I don't think I edited it out. That's probably why I need to reread it. Um, How I describe it is once that tenure ends, once that position's over part of the deal of taking that job, is you don't just then get a new job in the white house or a new job in dc to take on that role your agreement is you you leave you're gone you but you basically have a early funded retirement and you have you have one thing to do whatever you saw while you or whatever you did while you were in that position that dies with you that secret dies with you which actually factors into the third book uh, the third book i've got the premise behind it down and the people that used to serve as the body men, starting with Kennedy's body man are actually the Kennedy's body man. And I've written it. I've written the first chapter of the third book. Kennedy's body man is the first chapter of the third book. Um, so what happens to that after the role is kind of broken out into that book actually. And um, it, it kind of, I think it's a cool, if I ever get to writing it, <laughs> it's a cool yeah. concept. So that's a, cause yeah. What, what would you do if you've been to that cool level? Ways. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think, you know, getting a white chocolate mocha for someone at Starbucks is going to be too, uh, is, is on your list of your career aspirations after, uh, a- yeah. after, after you've done that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think a, a ranch in uh, Wyoming, probably like the size of Yellowstone would probably be my, my An price. An island in Bora okay. Bora I do might, have not, a price. might not be
1: bad too. Yeah. So, you yeah. know.
0: turn you, you broke me, Bishop. You found my price. <laughs>
1: I'll make a few, I'll make a few calls, John. We can see see what we can arrange. So the the body man, I'll I'll talk to the body man later. He, he can, he can hook us up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No secret service works too hard, man. (laughs) They travel too much. I I don't know if I can do that gig.
1: (laughs) No, I, I I know two former agents. Uh, One of them I haven't talked to in a while. The other one I've talked to on a fairly regular basis. And yeah, that's, uh, you know, again, I I don't have any experience with, with uh, protective detail, but. Um, I think it's from what I've known and talking to agents, reading about it, they have like a 99% divorce rate, you know, like astronomically high divorce rate. The only way they don't get divorced is if you marry another agent because you both know the gig and you're never both neither home. So you can't possibly fight. You can just get together for fun rendezvous and be like, see you next yep, month, you know, you a month. when we're yeah. in Japan, you know, yeah. Um,
0: yeah, it's that's, a it's a, a it's job. a lifestyle. It's that one it is is for the friends I have in that in that agency, it's a lifestyle. They just have yeah. to agree with it. And it's you know, life changes in phases. So what's great in the 20s doesn't work in the 30s anymore.
1: And you know, yeah, it's uh, but that's good on
0: them. I mean, that's that's some interest that's that's well, some rough work, but man, it is busy.
1: The agents I know that were, and they the ones that I personally know and have talked to are former Secret Service, and I think that's what you end up finding. Yep. Because people might jump into that kind of career in their 20s because, you know, there is a certain alert of that of, wow, this is exciting and getting to travel with the president if I make it to the protective detail and do all that. Really cool. You're in your 30s and you have two kids and you're working 80 to 100 hours a week maybe sometimes or you're going away on trips for a week or two. Um, Yeah, I don't I, – I think that's why you see people leave and they go. and they or, And they, you know, they've started to get government service at a time, so they don't want to just quit and go work at Pratt & Whitney or, you know, Microsoft or whatever. They'll go to another government agency that will tenure their time, which is smart on their part, so they can get a retirement. Um, But yeah, for a family lifestyle, uh, uh, to me, it equates a lot to the military. Um, One of my closest friends retired a couple of years ago. Uh, He actually stayed single. He was part of fifth group. Um, I've got, I don't have him here where I am, but I've got a wall of flags, stuff he got. I have... Mm -hmm. uh, he got me a flag from when they invaded and came through Jordan in, in the invasion to Iraq, I have a flag that was flying on the border and I have these really cool wow, artifacts cool. that he, yeah, amazing stuff that he was kind enough to give me. Um, but in talking to him while he was active duty, um, he would tell me the stories of, you know, these guys in his team would come back and, you know, their wife cheated on them or something. Obviously sometimes soldiers are cheating on their wives and just, you know, horrible family things are happening or they don't, they're gone. They're deployed for eight months. They're home for three months, and gone for another six. They see their kids via FaceTime or Skype, you know, and write write not emails to each other. It's such a difficult lifestyle. It's 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 something you have to be prepared to do and a sacrifice to do. And my friend wasn't willing to. He said, I, "I'm not going to get married while in this is a service. I don't yeah. want to have a family and have that lifestyle." Um, so, and yeah, it, it's. It's a challenge. And I think Secret Service and, you know, there's FBI jobs, uh, obviously, that, you know, require a lot and require you to move and, you know, do long hours. And, you know, it's I applaud those that take on those roles. And I understand why sometimes people don't stay with them for a full career because of what they have to give up.
0: Yeah. Life changes. I will say um, something really cool that I didn't expect when I got hired by the FBI. Um, first of all, every step of the process, when I'd leave, I'd I'd call my wife immediately and say, there's no way I pass that. We're not going anywhere, (laughs) you know, Uh, but I did once I got my offer and I accepted, they actually brought her, we lived in Charleston. They took her by herself to the Columbia field office for a spouse orientation, which was something I'd never heard of. I mean, that's a very cool thing for the agency to do to get me out of the process, get the variable out of the way, the dude who's super psyched about being Elliot Ness, Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, take her up and have her talk to other people. It was, it was a very cool thing, um, that, um, I don't know if every place does, but that was very impressive. The FBI was very impressive, but, um, that was one of the cooler things. I think it really set, sets those spouses up for their expectations to understand what they're walking into sometimes.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's helpful. I don't know if I told you when we talked before, I was fortunate. uh, It was actually after I had finished the first draft of the body man, but I was fortunate to be recommended. And I did, um, citizens Academy, the FBI citizens Academy. I did it out of the Greenville field office or small satellite office. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it was 10 weeks, 10 weeks, 10 weeks, 10 weeks, 2019, 18. It was a few years ago. Um, That part I forgot about life, but I was able to get a good low level view from agents of what they actually did. And I mean, the worst night, I've told the story to other people, the worst night um, from a, Oh my goodness, parent perspective was the night that they went into pedophiles and online predators and all the things that had happened. And, and they were very detailed and very, not graphic, but I guess it really, some of the stories, I guess, were nothing visual, but, um, but just what that I mean, I came out of that meeting and at the time my kids were, you know, much younger, especially my daughter um, was probably six or seven. I think when that was going on or when I was uh, doing that class, but to see what those agents have to the the type of people they have to deal with. And this one operation they were talking about was how they were posting stuff online and they were getting these guys and it was mainly guys, they're dirtbags, they're not women that are typically doing this, it's guys, to come to a hotel or whatever it was to engage in illicit activities with minors. And basically they couldn't set the appointments up fast enough. And they said, we could do this all day long every day.
0: Yep, they come running. Even in a small town like Greenville, they'll come running.
1: Yes, it blew insanity. my mind. blew, yeah. And it made me so mad as a parent, it made me so mad as a man that there's people out there that are scumbags that are doing this. But um, yeah, that was the hard one. But on the positive side was, uh, I think a lot of people that took the class like were made to by their employers, by their community that's leaders, because half the class didn't want to be there. That's I was so wanting it for, oh, every day I was giddy to go to it. Every day yeah. I got to do it. it. was once a week for like 10 weeks, I think it was. And every day. And so, and I'd always be the one like, they'd be like, "Uh, who wants to put on the bomb suit? And I'm like, Man. and they're like, writer. And they'd call me the writer. Okay, writer, you're on the yeah. bomb suit. And the rest of people are like, whatever. And you know, I'll go roll around in the 70 pound bomb suit. And, you know, we had a shoot, no shoot drill at the end. They set up all the screens and everything. And I think I had a guy pop up behind an air conditioner. and I drilled him like three times. And so the instructor actually looked at me like, How'd you know the guy was coming from? You know the 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 unit, and I'm like, well, I knew someone was popping up, and whoever it was, I was shooting. I was oh like, if I don't get a chance to shoot people in games <laughs> like this. I'm, if some, if it was grandma, I'd be like, sorry, I popped grandma, but someone's going down. He popped out of who would be. A grandmother wouldn't be behind an air conditioner unit. That's right, she couldn't move that fast. You're probably a bad guy. <laughs> so.
0: right. Yeah. yeah and, it, but, uh, and it's like, you're the one calling me the writer. I could see that plot a mile away. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> well, we even did a, they even did a lie detector. So I, I did a lie detector. Oh, no. again. And they called me out, out on that one. They're like, hey, writer, you want a lie detector test? And I was like, nope. Yes. Oh, no, I did it. <laughs> it was, it was so cool. And I failed. Uh, and it was the second one I had had in my life. I had one um, when I was in grade school. We went to the state police uh, for, uh, and they actually locked us up in the jail. It was actually a really cool experience. Well, they get to the point where they're like, anyone want to be a lie detector? And I'm kind of like, mm, <laughs> know, I guess I, was, I don't know if I was eight, nine, 10 years old, whatever. And so, I, and so they bring me in the room and um, what the guy did was he laid out a bunch of cards and he said, I'm going to I'm going to show you a bunch of cards and I'm going to pick one up and only you will see what the card is. And I'm going to put it back in the deck and then I'm going to go through every card I show you. You're going to say no. Even when I show the card that was your card and I'll tell you what your card was. And I'm, you know, no, you won't. I'm, I, I can lie. I'm, I'm a kid. Come on. I lie all the time about, you know, whether I ate the candy or, you know, stole the fruit roll-ups or whatever. Yeah, whatever. You can't. Sure enough, he goes through the deck of cards and I don't remember now what it was, you know, six of clubs or whatever, whatever card it was. No, 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 no. It gets in and he goes, and he goes, if you win, I'll give you $10. And I'm like, I'm making ten bucks. <laughs> I walked out of there with zero, <laughs> zero dollars. Zero dollars. Got that card up, and I'm like, oh, "How did you know? Like, smarter than you." Sorry, kid. <laughs> yeah, I've done this before. Yeah. <laughs> and the FBI did the same thing to me. I thought, this one. I've watched these movies now. If I just like, can I put a tack in my shoe real quick and just get myself some pain every time, or pinch myself? There's got to be something I can do, but. Those dastardly FBI agents caught me. So
0: uh, my my problem with those things is whenever I wrap, you know, I I get strapped in, I'm sitting there and uh, they're like, hey, uh, you ever punched your wife? And I'm like, and my answer is like, well, I know I haven't ever punched my wife. And then as you're sitting there, you're like, well, did I punch my wife? Uh, No, I'm sure I've never punched my wife. I know for a fact that I've ever punched my wife. But did you? I'm like, what? I'm like, and it's all, it's all internal dialogue. It's all a like, head I'm, game. I'm pretty sure I've never punched my wife, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be lying either. And now I'm like, oh man, I go, I go in circles, man. Those things freak me
1: out. I swear like, she I, threw I, a frying an, pan at me it? one time, and so I tossed a, <laughs> yeah. a, I, I tossed a, a yep. pillow at her in self defense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you.
0: Yeah, have, have you ever sold illegal drugs? No, no, I know I haven't. Well, did you I'm like, come on, you know, it's, done, no, it's like, come on, stop it. <laughs>
1: Problem is, if you're writing, then you're like, man, I've because I've, I've never done a drug in my life. And so yeah. if I ever got to a point where I was getting, you know, actually go through and have you ever done marijuana? My answer is no. But it's like, geez, I know people that have near me and I've researched it for books. It's like I know what it smells like. I can walk in a place and be like, that's pot. I've never actually inhaled, you know, Bill Clinton. You know, I've never actually, I didn't inhale inhale. it, you know,
0: whatever. So That's exactly how my brain works. It's like, have you ever smoked pot? Well, no. Well, wait a minute. I was sitting in the yard at Darien Lake watching Dave Matthews and the people like right next to me were puffing up. So did I smoke pot? (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, So I've I've also
1: seen Dave Matthews. If you've seen Dean Matthews, you have smoked marijuana. Because I've 98% 98% yeah. of the air at Dave Matthews' concert is legally marijuana. <laughs> so yeah, that's why
0: uh, in your brain you're just like, well, what define smoking marijuana?
1: Did exactly. I pack that bowl?
0: I did not pack that bowl. Did I put that bowl to my lips? I did not pack that bowl. I did not. What that. is <laughs> his? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. No, Dave Matthews is my spirit animal. I can't wait till the new album comes out. I'm
1: psyched. But, uh, I, I I hope I wanted to see him last year. My My son and I went on a concert run last year. Pretty amazing run. And uh, he he came through town, and I think I didn't have custody that night. There was some reason I didn't get tickets. So I'm if I if I don't have custody this summer and he comes through, but he'll probably come to Charlotte. Um, I'll go by myself because we were talking '80s. And so real quick, I took him to I'd never seen Bon Jovi, mm-hmm. and so I took him to Charlotte to see Bon Jovi. I got floor seats. I think it was twelve rows from the stage. So I basically sold my kidney. Um, <laughs> it was. One of the highlights of my time together as a father. And he still talks about it, he talked about it a couple of weeks ago. A year later, still talks about how amazing that concert was. And we had so much fun that I was, a, I think it was a Friday night. Yeah, Friday night in Charlotte, I saw him. He was coming, they were coming through Greenville on Monday. So four days later, three nice. nights later. I went and, and I didn't have custody then. I don't normally have custody on Monday nights. um I went back and got a floor seat further back, much cheaper, but I got a floor seat and watched it a second time. Um, and it was, Amazing experience, I had a blast. I then played back the videos I took after the fact, and i'm like, he sounds horrible <laughs> didn't sound horrible there. There was amazing the video eh, you know maybe I won't go next time they come through, but um yeah, we saw um we saw uh and he wanted to see the Eagles. I made him pay for the Eagles. I made him give me a hundred dollars because it was more than a hundred and I said, well, we I just took you to Bon Jovi if you're going to see the Eagles.' got to put some skin in the game this is you're called here 15 your own. <laughs> this is adulthood you're getting close um we saw garth brooks uh luke bryan um the big one we saw was uh befriended um uh through podcasts and through my book i uh, befriended the security director for shinedown so we went and saw shinedown um a couple times and then i was fortunate that um for research for books i was able to get a pass a world pass and go with the band on some shows. Nice. I even went over to England. I saw him over in Wales um back in November. So I did about eight shows with Shinedown and you know, got backstage and interacting and doing all the fun stuff. Um, and so that was that'll end up in a future book. I've already got some of that yeah. written. Um just one of those cool experiences that people are like, How did you get that experience? And I'm like, poop happens. I don't know what to tell you. It happens, <laughs> and right. if it happens, yeah. Go for it. Go all yep. in on it and enjoy yeah, the that, experience. That train stops.
0: Jump on. <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. it, it's weird. The only bad thing. It's not a negative, but the, the downside of that is once you've had a pass around your neck and can go anywhere, but pretty much on the stage during the show, um, it's hard to then go in the. Poor man seats in section three hundred, and be like, that's right. "I think I see Garth Brooks." No, 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 it's no, no. someone else that lives yeah. like it's really when you can literally what at the Shine Down shows, look up and see Brent singing down at you. You're like, "Hey, Brent, what's going on, buddy?" Dude. Totally different experience. Totally yeah, different experience. that's that's awesome. That's,
0: yeah, it was, it was cool. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get there with my boys. They're not quite there yet, but that that's fastest. But it's approaching faster than I wanted to. Let's just say that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And that's one of those things that yeah. I always tell people. And I, I heard it when I was younger and where my kids were younger and they're like, they grew up so fast. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm tired. I'm tired. Now that my son's 16, he just got his license a couple of weeks ago. Now I'm like, holy crap. I, I like blinked. And he, you know, we had some home videos playing a couple of weeks ago and it was his first birthday and I think his fourth or fifth birthday. And it was just like. Man, you're living in the moment, and I've always believed in living in the moment as best I can. Um, and you, you do your best, you being involved, but how quick it goes, it's really mm-hmm. so. I, and I try to do that now with the kids, especially since I don't have them half the time. Um, it allows me half the time to work on writing, but that half the time I'm with them, I don't. That's the other thing. People are like, well, how, how's that affected your writing? That's a, I do write sometimes when I go to sleep, but it's sometimes because a lot of times I put them to bed. You know, if they get up for school. I'm. Mom and dad now, you know, when they're with me and mm-hmm. same when they're with their mom, she's having to do all the rules. Um, I got to clean the dishes. I have to get the stuff ready for tomorrow. I have to maybe fold clothes. I have to sometimes go to bed eventually. Writing's not on my radar. So I have to cram yeah. it into basically when I don't have the kids. And, and then unfortunately, I, I, by my own choice, a lot of times I'm on the go too. So I'm really i'm I, i'm struggling sometimes to say i'm writing a book Yeah, i wrote yeah. you know i wrote some of the book yesterday but i didn't i only wrote you know a page versus you yeah. know a couple of years ago i probably would have been like i could knock a book out in three months yeah that would no. be a challenge now
0: <laughs> well and well then you know just you know come three years from now two more books you will have that
1: you'll be able to afford that eight hour writing day
0: you know with that with that seven figure advance you get Maybe. But the one thing that
1: I do want to say to add to that is uh, Don Winslow recently had a post something on Twitter. He said about that is he had an open door policy that his son could come in anytime he was writing and he would stop what he was doing. He would focus on time. He goes, you know, Don's obviously been extremely successful writer um, and didn't achieve success until he was older, too. But um, he said he is so grateful that he let that be the way it was, because he didn't miss out on that time with the kids. And that's what i try to tell people. And that's why I normally write at nights or write when I don't have yeah. kids. It's like, they're only going to be that age for a certain period of time. And you know, God willing, you live long enough to be able to write and watch your kids grow older and have kids themselves. But books matter. Books are important to me. But in the scheme of things, my time with my kids is really what's important. A book is great. It's, it's lovely to have my book out. I love that I have them on my shelf. But yeah. it's just something on my shelf that's not a memory I'll have with my kids the rest of my life and a memory that they'll have. So that's cool. It doesn't hold a candle to what's really cool, which is my kids.
0: Yeah. And getting to watch those little critters grow up, which I don't know if you can hear them or not, but that's, it's getting loud, so that I, I, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to cut you loose pretty soon. I man, thought that was gonna, a group of
1: banshees in the background, but no, I, it, I don't hear yeah, anything.
0: That that's exactly what that is.
1: <laughs> well enjoy <laughs> those I, times with them.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you. Uh I appreciate you coming to join me, man. I it's uh it's yeah, been thanks, a great chat. And um whenever the next one comes out, hit me up and uh, and we'll definitely link up again.
1: Um I before you go, for, look uh, forward to
0: socials for people, websites, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So my website is my name. Uh, my middle initial is P for Paul. So EricPbishop.com. P um, I'm on Twitter, uh, EPB author, I think Twitter and Instagram, I'm EPB author, which my initials EPB um, Facebook, it should just be Eric Bishop author, Eric P Bishop author, I think. So yeah, if they, the good thing about the world and this horrible technology, this evil technology, all, all you have to do is go to Google and type in the body man. And guess what? It'll send you to Amazon and you can buy a copy. So yep, piece of cake. We're,
0: we're always available.
1: Always. <laughs> right?
0: Always. But, on. Uh, I appreciate it, man. Thanks again for joining us. John. Thank you, John. Me, Thank you for your time. All Take right. care. All right. Good night, everybody.